Okay, let me, let me give you a little bit of background. So, uh, when I was teaching more or less full-time, occasionally I would send a paper back for a second run, you know, that somebody turned in a 10-page paper, and I'd think, well, they, you know, that's really a lot of work for me to turn it back. And it, but because uh, I would give pretty serious instruction on... Um, where the research for the paper ought to be done, and when they turned it in, the only things cited were like Wikipedia. <laughs> where do you go for wisdom? Can I tell you? It ain't Wikipedia, okay? Where do you go for wisdom? Where do you go? Uh, we live in this information age where... Um, um, it, that's as much a blessing as a curse in some, to some degree. You can Google some question, and believe me, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. So where do you turn for wisdom? Today, we're going to study about the king of Judah who went to the right place for wisdom, and it was probably in some ways for you and me, it might be perceived that it was an unlikely place. Uh, and he's gonna, but he's going to send a delegation to a person known for wisdom, and we're going to look at it. Um, so, by the way, uh, the king of Judah was a youth himself when he went after this. So we're going to look at that. Let me give you a little bit of background on the story. So uh, the events that we're going to talk about this week took some place somewhere between 640 and 609 B.C. That's when King Josiah... In many ways, you could call him the boy king, was king, 640 to about 609. He was a godly king. He was known for his tireless attempts to purify uh, the worship of the nation and the temple. And uh, in the years preceding him, the nation hadn't done all that well. In fact, they'd vacillated between devotion to God and, and idolatry. Uh, interestingly, um, um, uh, Hezekiah, who was Josiah's great-grandfather, um, uh, instituted some reforms um, that kind of got the ball rolling. But his son, um, Josiah's father, um, uh, Manasseh, um, kind of... Uh, messed a lot of that up. He rebuilt pagan worship shrines his father had destroyed. He encouraged the worship of the Baals. Uh, Manasseh went so far as to offer one of his own children in sacrifice and built altars within the temple um, uh, itself. Late in his reign, though, Manasseh repented, turned back to God. But his former evil um, contributed directly to to Judah's ultimate destruction. Now that would have been, um, I said this probably wrong, that would have been Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. And then his father, Ammon, returned to the idolatry that characterized uh, the early years of Manasseh. Ammon was assassinated in a palace coup after a two-year reign, and the people of the land took his eight-year-old boy, Josiah, and said, you will be our king. So Josiah begins his reign as king at eight years of age. Now, can you imagine that? Um, uh, the, the good news is he was surrounded immediately by godly advisors 
that took him under their wing to teach him the ways of God. One of those, John, in a bit we're going to read, was Zephaniah, the prophet. Another one likely was Jeremiah. He was kind of a contemporary later on in, um, in Josiah's reign. Um, so their ministries were an impetus to Josiah's reforms leading up to the events that we're going to study today. When Josiah was 16 years old, he began to really seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year of his reign, he began to purge the land of all the idols and the shrines that had proliferated over the, over the previous three or four um, uh, reigns of kings. So about six years after that, Josiah orders a renovation of the temple. They're going to remodel the temple. And guess what they found? I'm going to say it this way just so we understand it. They found the Bible, which had been lost for generations. They found, we're really unsure if it was just the five books of the law or if it was maybe only the book of Deuteronomy. But what you've got to understand is they hadn't read it in those generations. Josiah's reaction was good. And tragic. Josiah read it or had it read to him, and he immediately tore his clothing. We are doomed because God said, Don't do this, and we've been doing it. God said, Do this, and we haven't been doing this for generations. That's kind of where we pick it up because Josiah is trying to figure out, according to what he's read, at least in the book of Deuteronomy, he's recognizing that if, because the nation has been on the path they've been on, that destruction was coming. It had already happened in the northern kingdom of Israel. Kingdom of Israel. So he calls together a delegation of hard-to-pronounce people. <laughs> and... And he's going to send them to what you and I might think is an unlikely source of wisdom. Steve, now I'm going to have you start at 14 and go ahead and read down through 17, okay? We're in 2 Kings 22. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Asphodel, who was the wife of Shalem, son of Tikva, the son of Harhah, keeper of the she lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Okay. Uh, by the way, Steve, you did a commendable job, man. Great job with all that. Give him a hand, will you? So the king, who's still a young man, calls a lot of people together that he trusts. And he says, I want you to go and find out what's going to happen. We need a prophet. We need a seer. We need, a some, we need someone that's wiser than we to help us determine what's going to happen here. Now, what's remarkable about this, I think at least, is who 
they're going to listen to. Now, my question is, um, in the last 13 months, you and I talk about this regularly, Rhonda. Who are you listening to? Okay, I, I, I think that's a pretty commendable deal, Dan. But who are you listening to that's saying this is the word of the Lord? Who are you listening to when it comes to wisdom for dealing with, for instance, the pandemic? Who are you listening to? Isn't it interesting that we can, we can read one thing and the next day they come out with something that's a total reversal or it seems like a reversal. And it depends somewhat, somewhat who you're listening to. So my question is, if you and I were wanting to know today who to listen to, who would we send a delegation to to listen to? It's interesting. Now, if I'm reading the scriptures correctly from verse 14 that Steve began to read here, there is a person, there's a person in, uh, uh, that's identified here who is the keeper of the wardrobe. It's not them that Josiah sends the delegation to. If I read it right, it was the keeper of the wardrobe's wife. You catch that? Now, I don't know what the keeper of the wardrobe did. And if I'm reading this right, uh, because it's worded kind of funny. I may be maybe not quite straight on this, but I think uh, this person uh, who her name is Hulda. Okay. Uh, by the way, that'd be a good name to name your, have your kids name your next grandchild or your next child. Hulda. Because she is, she is uh, remarkable here. Um, now, um, go with me just for a second. Go to the right to Jeremiah 32. I think I've got that right. Yep, Jeremiah 32. We're going to read verse 7. Somebody beats me there, just read it. I'm almost there. Jeremiah 32, 7 helps us identify this person. Behold, Hanamel... The son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you the right of redemption to buy it. So notice that Shalom is identified here. If I go back to 22.14, um, Shalom, this is, is Huldah's husband, Jeremiah's uncle. That's a, that's a pretty good pedigree. But it's not him that they go to consult. It's his wife. You catch that? Remember we did this a couple weeks ago? We talked about some prophets from the Old Testament that were women. I've learned a lot from good and godly and wise women. Some of you in this room. So, uh, this is... Um, um, Okay, so I'm going to ask this in, in an interesting way. So if you're looking for um, godly, even worldly wisdom, okay, so how does this world work? Where did they go in, uh, in the Andy Griffith show? Where did they go to find worldly wisdom? What? Well, they went to Aunt B's. That's one place, but that's not the place I'm thinking of. They went to Floyd's Barbershop. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Remember? 
Andy. Okay, they did that. Now, it wasn't Floyd that was all that wise, but if Andy was there, it got a lot wiser, right? What's well, interesting, when, uh, when we uh, buried Rhonda's brother a couple years back, we were talking with, a, with a, uh, a member of our board of trustees who was in town a couple weeks ago about uh, he had been going through Missouri and had a blowout on I-44 in Sarcoxie, Missouri, and he made it to a place that said you need to go to the tire shop down the street, and I guarantee you it was your brother that he talked to that helped him. And what happened, what ended up is rushing tire and auto, which is Rhonda's brother and father's business, ended up being the Floyd's Barbershop of Sarcoxie, Missouri. <laughs> At least in, in the regard of anything you needed to know about a car, that was where you got wisdom about a car, is at Rushing Tire and Auto. It became Floyd's Barbershop in this little town. Okay? Where do you go when you need to know the right thing? The king said, I need you to go find Hulda. She'll know. She'll know. Is there a person in your life? Are there people, plural, in your life? That if you need to know? If I want to talk about investments, I'm going to Walt Northcutt, okay? By the way, that's, that's a tip. and I'll give you his phone number if you need it. <laughs> Who do you go to? When you need to know whatever it is. Now, so they sent, um, they sent a delegation of officials to consult with the prophet. Um, for wisdom here. Now, let's skip on down to verse 15. So she begins her prophetic answer when they ask her to, to, to give them the truth. Okay? She begins her prophetic answer in verse 15 with, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now, interestingly, what she begins her, her statement back to them was used more than 500 times in the Old Testament. This is what the Lord says. I'm happy that she begins her talk this way because that's what they're looking for. More than 500 times in the Old Testament, that had been used. And only a true prophet of God can say this. Now, my question is, go with me. Somebody, this one doesn't have any big, big names in it. So somebody go to, uh, Sally, can I get you to go to Hebrews 5? And I want you to read the last three verses, verse 12, 13, 12, 13 and 14. Hebrews 5, that's over almost the end of your Bible. Um, Hebrews 5, verse 12, 13 and 14. I, I want us to hear, somebody asked me this week, how do you know if you're interpreting this right? How do you know if you're making a foolish decision or a wise decision. And the Bible kind of addresses this. Uh, Sally, did you find it? 12, 13, and 14. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. 
You need milk, not solid food. Keep going. Yeah. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Okay, by the way, isn't it, isn't it appropriate that Sally begin this with, you ought to be a teacher? Yeah, there we go. All right. Now, okay, so my answer to my friend who said, how do I know, is if you're steeped in this, like, you, you catch what Sally read there in, the, in, in verse 14. By constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So, if you're watching certain channels on cable TV and the preacher is eh, just, eh, it's just, it's just a little off. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I, have, have you been like me? It's been, there have been times when you've heard something preached and you've thought, I don't know exactly what I believe, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. Okay? How do you know? By constant use. Constant use. And so I challenge my friend, are, are you reading this every day? I, I was thinking about what the passage that we're particularly uh, dialing into today. And I realized, I, I said it to Rhonda this morning early, I'm really glad that, that my quiet time reading has been kind of in this section of Scripture because it's given me a historical background for what we're talking about today. I've, I've read the chapters that came before. I've read the chapters that came after. I'm actually uh, reading through the book of, of Second Chronicles right now. But, but um, uh, you know, I'm just reading systematically through the Bible. You don't have to start in Genesis and go to Revelation, but, but read one book before you start another because it gives you context. How do you know if something isn't quite right, you know it because you've read about it. And I'm not talking about reading what others say about it. I'm talking about reading the book for yourself. I just want to throw that challenge down at you. Yes? Also, praying every day, spending time with God. And in his word. Because he said, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger they know my voice. I agree. You got to know God's voice through his word. And if you don't read it, you're not going to know it. And that's the only way you can spend. You got to give him some time. Turn the TV off or whatever it takes. But give him. He said he wanted to be first. And if I can close the loop on that, one of the things that, that I will say is that my prayer life ought to at least be partially in reaction to what he just told me. So a lot of my prayer life will begin at least with, God, here's what you're telling me today in, in, in my reading of your word. Here's what I need to do about that. And then I move on to other requests, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But, but I need to close that loop between what God is telling me and what I'm going to do about it. We'll deal with that in just a minute. So this, that is so good and so true. So they went to the right source here. Um, and, um, and they found Huldah, who began with, Thus saith the Lord. Okay. 
Do I know enough Bible to sniff out when something isn't quite right that's being taught or written? Okay. I ought to at least know enough to know. Um, um, I remember taking a, taking a course in college, and I was just beginning to read um, daily for myself the Scriptures. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm not really sure what I believe about that, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. And uh, I, it, it made me go research it. Okay. So, all right. Uh, uh, she begins her response with a prophetic formula that we're going to see more than 500 times in Scripture, and they're going to be they're going to be um, encouraged by that. When she begins her talk in verse 16, the king's worst fears were justified. Look at 22:13. Uh, when he reads the Scripture for himself. He says, uh, go inquire of the Lord for me and the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that's written concerning us. He says, we're in trouble. And she begins by confirming his worst fears. Okay. Judah's forsaking of God in verse 17, she begins to say, is going to result in punishment. The word that's used here, um, God is going to bring evil. You see that in verse 17? God is going to bring evil. Is not talking about... Um, uh, okay, I'm looking for it here. Or is it 16? Uh, verse 16, behold, I bring evil. Uh, that, that word um, uh, is talking about even physical affliction here. Okay? Judah is kind of doomed. The kingdom is doomed. And uh, Huldah confirms what the king fears. Now, I want us to go to a couple places. So go with me to Isaiah 44. I want you to read some biblical humor. Okay? Isaiah 44, I, I love the way Isaiah does this. And then uh, in a minute, John, we're going to go to uh, Zephaniah 3, and I'm going to have you read verse 6, 7, and 8. Okay, so listen to this. Judah, Judah's forsaking of God for idols will result in punishment. Now, now uh, John, let's go ahead. We're gonna, let's start with Zephaniah 3, verse 6, 7, and 8. I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left the streets deserted with no one passing through. Your cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No, not at all. I said to the city, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were eager to act corruptly in all they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. God has had enough. And a reckoning is coming. Um... You know what's worse than finding a worm in an apple? Find a half a worm. The idea here is, Zephaniah is saying in my words, 
the nation has become rotten to the core. Now, go with me to Isaiah 45, 44. Sorry, I'm going to read verse 19. I want you to catch what he's saying here. It's kind of humorous about... Um, now, now, by the way, all these are kind of contemporaries. Um, uh, I'm going to read 44.19. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I burned half of it in the fire, and I've also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. Now, you got to catch this. He's saying you take a block of wood, you use part of it to, to, to build a barbecue. Okay? I love it when my next door neighbor is smoking because it smells really good from over there. So get that picture in your head. You take that block of wood, you take part of it, and you throw a barbecue, you cook over it, and what's left over, you make a little idol out of and put it on your mantle place, and you begin to sacrifice to it and pray to it. Isaiah says, that's how ludicrous this practice has become. Did you catch that as we read verse 19? Uh, I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down, I fall down before a block of wood. <laughs> wow. That's really common in Josiah's day. And he has already repented about it. Um, uh, Zechariah said, uh, Zephaniah, I'm sorry, says you're rotten to the core. You've used a leftover piece of wood um, that you use for barbecue and you've made a God, little g, out of it. There's punishment coming. Now, let's go on and read the rest of it, and I'll try to help us apply it in the last 10 minutes or so we're together. Let's go to verse 18. Uh, Cindy, can you read 18, 19, and 20? I will attempt to, yes. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsible and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Okay, look at verse 18. There's an interesting wording here that we've got to unpack just a little bit. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. So that phrase, inquire of the Lord, only happens six times in all the Old Testament. All 39 books of the Old Testament, inquire of the Lord, only happens six times. And it's always very, very serious. I'm going to go back to 1 Kings uh, 22. And I'm going to, even old wicked Ahab got serious about inquiring of the Lord one time. I'm, I'm going to read verse 8. First uh, Kings 22, verse 8. Um, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, so that this was um, King Ahab. By the way, who was he married to? Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah, she was something. And his, he was too. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. 
Okay. By the way, you go and read. I just read part of this story this week in my quiet time. It's interesting. He doesn't want Jehoshaphat to go to Micaiah or whatever his name is here because he knows that Micaiah doesn't like him and he's liable to tell the truth, which he did. Okay. But he gets serious about it. He says, we need to inquire of the Lord. That's only six times in all, all 39 books of the Old Testament. Inquire of the Lord. So right here, the, that wording is used. This is serious. Um, um, it, it, it's a big deal. The king um, goes to her here to seek the Lord. Now, there's some repetitive language in verse 18 um, that, that is well put here. Um, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. There it comes again. One of those 500 times, there's another one where it's re- repeated here. Um, so, so what I'm going to say to you is we've been talking about who, what prophets do. They hear what God says and they tell us. Okay? So the idea here is um, for the king to seek her was to seek the Lord. This great and godly prophet whose husband was Jeremiah's uncle and was the keeper of the wardrobe. Interesting to me. Now, he's going to get the answer But it's not necessarily the answer he wants, but it's going to start out kind of that way. All right? In verse 19, back in in 22, in verse 19, uh, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place. Now, how does it say it? Anybody reading from NIV, how does it say it here as it begins verse 19? Because your heart was responsive. I love that expression. I also love what the New American Standard says, because your heart was tender before the Lord. Penitent, Penitent. good word. Okay, so all those, you get the idea. It's when, when he read the scripture, when the king read the scripture, his heart was touched by it. He responded to it. He was responsive. He was tender to it. Rhonda, what was your word? Penitent. He was penitent. So the idea, in fact, he was so penitent here that um, his response was appropriately humble and contrite. Humble and contrite. Now, John, I'm going to come back to you if I can and ask you to read again from Zephaniah 2.3 and then 3.12. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. But I will leave with you the meek and humble who trust in the name of the Lord. Sounds like humility is a good thing where the scripture is concerned. What was King Josiah's response to the reading of scripture? First time in his life, first time in generations it had been read out loud. What was his response to it? Humility, contrition. What's contrition? Sorriness. Okay? You ever play the game sorry? I I remember when one of my children, I have two, so I'll I'll leave it to you. You got a 50-50 chance of getting this one right. When when one of my children was about five and the other one was four, 
they would, you know, get into it about something, and and this person's mother would say, "You need to tell him you're sorry." Okay, eventually you're going to work this out. And child would say, "Sorry." Did the child mean sorry? No. It wasn't until the child said, I'm sorry. Contrition. I have to own it. One of the things I think that is missing from the NCAA tournament and any other basketball game that I see, you notice when I was playing basketball, and I wasn't very good, but when I was playing basketball and I fouled somebody, you raised your hand. You remember that? Anybody remember that? I did it. Uh, okay, Coach, you remember that? They don't do that anymore. In fact, they'll either flop or do something else indicating, oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> contrition. Appropriate contrition here. The king was good and humble and contrite. And so, Hulda says, Here's the only good news I got for you, okay? It's going to happen the way the Bible says it's going to happen. It's not going to go well for the nation. But Judah, the nation that you lead, King Josiah, will be spared while you're alive. Now, if you read on into chapter 23, you're going to read that that Josiah didn't die peacefully, okay? Um, in fact, he's murdered in battle. Read 23, I think I put verse 29, 30 in there. You're going to read he, was, he, he died in battle uh, at the hands of the Egyptians, I believe. He didn't die peacefully, but he died at peace with God. Do you know the difference? 20-some years ago, almost 22 years ago, I was holding my mother's hand when she breathed her last breath, and it was not pleasant. Her uh, lungs had failed, and the doctor called Dad and me and Rhonda in and said, she's not going to be here much longer, and so we stayed with her, and she struggled for her very last breath. I'll never forget it. But she died at peace, not peacefully. Uh, if, if your loved one died, just kind of went to sleep. You know how that is? And that's a really wonderful thing. But there's a difference in dying peacefully and dying at peace. You hear me? And Josiah died at peace with God. Uh, it's interesting here, I, I think, um, um, he had repented f on behalf of the nation. He had showed appropriate contrition and humility. Uh, Moses had described that kind of repentance as a prerequisite for the Lord's restoring Israel after it fell under his judgment in, in Leviticus 26. Um, that kind of humble repentance had led God to delay the demise of Ahab's dynasty, at least for a while in 1 Kings 21. Uh, 
it, it led God to postpone judgment in the days of Hezekiah uh, in 2 Chronicles 32. It led uh, God to restore Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. And the New Testament is full of what happens when you and I are appropriately humble and contrite. It just happens that way. In 586, 23 years or so later, after this event, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. It happened as Holder said it was going to happen. And the king could take a little bit of peace away from the situation by knowing that he would be alive to see the nation continue. It wouldn't, wouldn't fall at least until after his death. Now, the answer that you and I may be looking for, the one that I'm waiting for, may be found in humbly asking and then acting on what God tells me. It may be found in asking him humbly, okay, Lord, what's the answer? And then humbly doing what he tells me to do. So my question is, I, I think the illustration here from Josiah's life is a good one for our day. I'm not asking you if you have 12 different translations of the Bible on your shelf. Uh, I read a comment 20 or so years ago from the, from the president of the American Bible Society. He said, the, the, the problem is not that we don't have the scriptures on our shelf. The problem is, is it's dusty there. Do you read it? I was sharing faith with a dear older friend years ago. I said, well, I gave him a Bible. And I said, would you read it? He said, you know, I don't believe it. I said, would you read it? Well, you know, I don't believe it. Would you read it? You know, I don't believe it. Would you read it? You know, I don't. Okay. It was that one of those things. And when he finally read it, it made all the difference. He's in heaven now. It took about 18 years, but he made it. Do you read it? Or do you have 12 copies in different translations that are never opened? One of our challenges for the past year is that we've not had as much opportunity to sit beside one another with the Bible open and talk about it. That's what's so wonderful about seeing so many of you here today. We can do what we can online, and we'll continue to do some of that. But isn't it good to open the Scriptures? Isn't it good for a good and godly, albeit very young king, to send a delegation to see a prophet to say, ask her what we need to know. Well, would you come alongside me and study it? Next week, by the way, I came to the realization of this this morning. You know, next week is Palm Sunday. Well, you know. So we're going to study Isaiah 53 next week. Um, the wonderful picture of the suffering servant that ought to help us get prepared for a holy week to come 
uh, week after next. Okay? Thanks for hanging out with me, my friends Josiah and Hulda. And uh, I hope you have a great Sunday. God bless you.